please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Beloved, let's uh, open our Bibles to two places. Uh, first, uh, Exodus 20, we're going to read uh, the fourth commandment from verses 8 through 11. Then we'll have a reading from Genesis chapter 2, just those first three verses for a bit of context. I want to uh, approach the Sabbath in, um, in probably two preachings, this one and an, another one uh, the following week, Lord willing. And then uh, I, I think what I'd like to do is, is have a separate treatment for um, uh, a separate sermon about the, the, the four, first four commandments, the first table of the moral law. As I think it, it, it merits uh, even more scrutiny as they relate the commandments one to another and to God, um, especially in the context of, a, of an ever-growing and ever-threatening militant secular society. Uh, I think we need to regard um, what is holy and examine ourselves in light of uh, the commandment of what is, what is holiness, what is separation, what, what is holy rest, etc. All right, so I'll be reading from uh, Exodus 20, beginning with verse 8. This is the word of our Lord. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, or your livestock, or your sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the Sabbath day. And therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And then in uh, Genesis uh, chapter 2, verse 1, 2, and 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the, Sabbath, the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Um, I wish I had taken more time to look at the verse 3. I'll get back to you perhaps in another email about the translation, so God bless the seventh day. I, I may contend that it, it says Sabbath, but the, the, the root is so close in the Hebrew, I'll have to review it. Let's pray. Lord, now we thank you. And we, uh, we love, Lord, uh, your word. We, we love to hear what your will is for us. We know that you have only good intended for us. And then when you speak to us, Lord, as your covenant children, you speak to us as a father and not a judge. You speak to us as a loving shepherd who leads and does not drive your sheep, uh, except, of course, when we're in danger. But we pray, Lord, that you, again, would speak to us pleasantly and uh, help us uh, because we, we want to inquire of you. We want to learn of you. We want to hear your voice in these matters. You said, Lord, that you will proclaim your name in the midst of your assembly and that you will you regard your name as holy. You will be, uh, you will be revered as holy for all who, uh, to, by all who come, come near you. And we pray, Lord, that that would be the case. Teach us what it means that you're holy. Teach us what it means that you regard a day as holy. And that uh, teach us what it means when you bless something, that we may know the, the Lord and that we might know his, your ways, and that in knowing your ways, that we might delight in them and walk in them as you help us in your spirit. And we pray through Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. You know, I, I, it's off. It's 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 cl it's clumsy and embarrassing, isn't it, to have a, a a difference with people? You know, when you when you have a difference of opinion with someone at work or someone at school, it's it's so unpleasant. You try to hear each other out, and uh, you talk past each other. The Lord here is plainly telling us 
that he's delighted in one day above another. We just can't see it anymore, hardly. We, we just, we think that this is some kind of trap where he's tricking us so that he might rob us of life and make us sour pusses and mean-spirited Pharisees and hypocrites. And so he's calling something blessed and holy, and in our minds, if we were, if we were to take a truth serum in a dentist's office and sit down and really be examined under truth serum what we really think of the Sabbath, we'll think, this is not blessed. This is, this is a day of toilsome labor, and it is not holy. That's what most people would think. They're ready to guard their weekends and to thank the Lord. Thank God it's Friday. They can do as they please, or as the NFL says about the Lord's day. We, we own this day. We, this day is ours. And yet, if we examine the scriptures, not only the, not only the moral law, which we might, have, we might have difficulty understanding the moral law, but when we, when we study the way that the prophets, beginning with Moses, handled this command, we're going to see this in the book of Exodus. When, beginning with Moses, how he handled this thing, and how the prophets plied this, this command with the Lord for the people, and the repercussions, the repercussions to Israel when they don't keep the first table of the law, and even the Sabbath, we, we ought to really be concerned that we haven't agreed with God. So I, we need a fresh look here, and I'm just going to help you uh, by setting up the Sabbath in terms of a creation ordinance, a creation ordinance uh, that was with us from the very beginning. And, uh, and hopefully that you'll see that uh, by the end, maybe I'll be more and more convinced that this is indeed a, a blessed day. The Sabbath is a blessed institution. It is a blessed ordinance. It is indeed holy because it's set apart. And it's set apart not only for ourselves. I mean, we set apart Friday, right? Thank God it's Friday, right? So if our Friday, we're out of work, run like wildfire everywhere we want. Yeah, it's Friday. But it's only unto the Lord. It says we are to keep it holy unto the Lord. And uh, we need to find out what that is. Okay, so the context, my friends, I'm, I'm taking you back to creation. The context is moral law that has to do with God's essence and has to do with man's essence, what man is. Not, and, and what he does is to correspond what he is at, by creation as an ideal. Not, that what, not what he is as a fallen person, which is obviously... Uh, the easy thing for everybody to do, uh, but what is commonly done is not the standard of conduct. That is not what we consider normalcy. Normalcy is regenerate mankind. Normalcy is glorified mankind. And so the moral law points to that nature, but I also want to point out that within that, the selection of the day itself is not has nothing to do with anything that we might regard as moral in terms of looking within our nature and say, ah, yes, it's, uh, it's the seventh day of creation, the Sabbath. No, it's a positive law, which we've spoken to, and that's part of the Ten Commandments. And furthermore, I'll, I'll add here that it's part of the first table of the law regarding God and the way that we are to obey God most directly. All sin, any sin, any breach of any commandment is a sin against God, most directly. But uh, the first table sins is a sin in, bre in breaching those commandments is even more directly against God. And so it ought to concern us. And that's why I'd like to have a separate preaching on uh, the first table of, of the law. Proposition here in these uh, verses is this, that the Sabbath is a creation ordinance. It's made for man. Uh, it is first and foremost a moral commandment requiring all mankind to cease ordinary labor and obey its precepts as a means to delight in the Creator. It's not an ends. The Sabbath is not an ends 
You haven't done, you haven't worshiped when you, when you cease your labor and keep Sabbath. This commandment is both a precept and a means towards commandments number one, two, and three. Okay? All right. So let me go down into this outline. First point of the sermon. Jehovah instituted the Sabbath immediately after finishing his work of creation. God finished his work of creation in six days. Okay, is anybody ready for discussion again? This used to be an undisputed fact, you know, for 17 centuries, until some very high-minded philosophers began to speculate. And now everybody's too, uh, is too intelligent to figure out what a plain reading in the Hebrew uh, says, but I, I assure you uh, that a Hebrew child can read this and explain to you what is being said here in the Hebrew. God finished his work of creation in six days. Six ordinary days? It was even debated in our own denomination. The creation papers, you can read those. Very interesting. Uh, white papers in the Presbyterian Church in America carry no force of constitutionality. They carry no authority. It does not mean that you are allowed this expression. It just means that there is an expression. It makes no statement of the ethics. It has no power of the, of the ethics of, of, the, of, the, uh, uh, of, the, of the denomination or anybody in it in the reviews. It just says that these are some things that people, some people think. I, I say that because uh, not everything that is allowed is allowed to be expressed. Because according to good faith subscription, what a minister, or a teaching elder, or any ruling elder or any officer for that matter is to do is to only teach, preach, and practice those things that are in accord with the confession, with the standing constitution of the Presbyterian Church in America. Okay? And I would say that even that statement, although that's technically our position, is not strong enough. Because uh, although if you, if you preach, teach, and uh, practice those, you're actively breaking your vows, you're sinning by omitting the proper teaching, the proper practice, and the proper preaching. And uh, it's very difficult, my friends, to bring any charges against a person for not doing something. You understand? You try to convict somebody in the, in the court saying, this person did not do this. Well, the evidence is difficult to, is difficult to gather. Six ordinary days? Yes. I'll tell you, the best defense is not even in the first couple of chapters. It's in chapter 5. This has come up in our presbytery, and I've, I've raised this matter. Because in Genesis 5.5, 5, the scripture says, by the mouth of the Holy Spirit, all the days of Adam were 930 years, and he died. Well, either, my friends, those days are not long ages, or if those early days of creation were long, long ages, Adam lived an incredibly long tens of thousands of years by, 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 by analogy, if you catch my drift. If day one may have been 100,000 years, can you imagine 100, 930 times uh, 100,000 years? All the days of Adam were 930 years, and he died. And the day Yom is the same as in the, the, the Yom that was expressed in, uh, in, the, in, in the first six days. So as long as you keep Genesis 5.5, 5, you, really, you really can't go too far in swallowing the lie of even deistic uh, evolution. You understand what I'm saying? Because what evolution, evolution wants and demands is a lot of time, a lot of time, so that chance, random chance, has an has a opportunity to afford recombinant DNA, long protein chain molecules, and away you go from unicellular uh, things that suddenly come to life, and suddenly you've got uh, bipeds, okay? What you need, what you need is a lot of time, if you're talking about random. Uh, even then, it's, it's absurd, but anyway, all that is of Adam, 930 years. We affirm six days, and the affirmation of the six days is the surest protection against keeping, uh, uh, violating this, this, the Sabbath. 
Because if days don't mean anything, Sabbath, seventh day doesn't mean anything. And that's what we have here uh, today. We're extremely challenged. We're extremely challenged in this increasingly secular age to keep Sabbath. Now, after the six days, there's no more fiat creation. That is to say, there's nothing more that God is all of a sudden creating uh, by his will and the, by his word. And, uh, and then uh, after that, there is no new, more, new more cre- uh, no more new creation, except there's a recombination of material, uh, of material creation. Then there's providence. And even within the days of creation, of course, after he's made a few things the first, second, third days, he's going to, he's going to sustain that creation. And even, even in the, the creation days, there is providence ensuing. All right? So this is the action of God. He's working by fiat creation, but maintaining the work. Also work, as Jesus says, my father works, and so do I. Meaning that the work of providence certainly is work. But that's not creation work. All right? And, uh, and I'll get to that. What it means is certainly in the Sabbath, he, cease, he does not cease to be a providential God. And so he's not ceasing from all work. But we're going to see what kind of work he does cease from. All right. God rested. What does it mean to rest? Well, again, taking a very simple view of what is being said here. God rested, meaning not creating. That's, that's, I know that's not, going to, that's not going to wow anybody here. But that's the simplest definition of resting. Not that God did nothing on the seventh day. Uh, in fact, God uh, delighted on the seventh day, and he had many, many thoughts on the seventh day. Uh, and, and we'll get to that in a second. It's not that God does nothing on the seventh day. He's upholding all things by the word of his power. And it's not that God needed resting as if he was exhausted and needed rest. Okay? I, I don't know if it was even the case if it was man that needed rest. I'm not sure if man in his strength and virility of unsullied creation, spotless, sinless, without the curse of the earth, without the sweat on his brow, having to beat his way back to every meal and resting every night, from his labors, I'm not sure that he needed rest because he was an exhausted creature. Anyway, we'll talk about that later. God's resting on the seventh day was an expression of his moral essence. We're going to maintain that this is a moral commandment. So we learn something about God's himself when we see that God rests. I think the better writing, writing on this is that God, as God, delighted in his own all-sufficient wisdom, power, uh, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth on that day. You know, he gives you a hint because after every single day, he closes the day by saying, and all that God made was good. And after he made man, he pauses and he considers and he says, and then on the sixth day, and behold, it was all very good. So there is a good, 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 five days, six day, very good. Seventh day, no statement of anything uh, assessing, because what he's doing is he's assessing all things. <laughs> he's assessing his creation. He's delighting in the works of his hands, as any artist does when he paints a portrait, and he looks back. I, have you ever, you ladies, when you when you decorate a room, there's art there. You you look back and you say, well, yeah, the lighting is right. The pe- this looks good. No, I'm going to move the. I'm going to move that lamp. That's not right. Okay, now now we've got a beautiful room. You know what it is to admire your work. Man has something of that, and it's because we got that from God. So he's admiring his work, but because his work is this is his first work extra uh, Trinitarian, that's to say it's not intra-Trinitarian, it's not, a, it's not the, it's, his work is not between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's with God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and expressing outside of himself, 
This is the first time in all eternity where God has done something expressing himself outside of himself. And this is something different. It's very significant. This is something that God has done that he's never done before. And so God as Trinity delights in the same. And he delights the work of God as, as one God in the Godhead delights it. But, the, but each person in the Godhead delights in it because the Father is the font of all things and the decree. The Son is expressive of the Father as begotten and he himself mediates. We uh, read in the early chapters of the epistle to the Hebrews as uh, all things. He, he is a, a, a channel, not, not a mediator in terms of redemption, but uh, all things were created through him and for him because he is the firstborn of all creation. And that very much cheered the father because look at all the gifts. Look at all the flowers. Look at all the fields and meadows. Look at all the mountains and the depth. Look at all the coral reefs. Look at all the waterfalls. Look at all the splendor of birds and, and magnificent animals that God the father has given to his son as an inheritance. Don't you think that he's admiring all that? And the son is admiring all this because the son will be glorified as, as the principal uh, agent, the, the, uh, the, the heir of all these things. And the Holy Spirit also uh, is glorified because he is the one who is hovering above the waters. And he is the one who is most in touch with the creation, so much so that he is, he is credited as being the spirit of regeneration. When we're regenerated, the scripture he could be right, of course, theologically. God regenerates us, the Father. We can say that Jesus uh, causes us to be born again. Of course, we, yeah, we can say that. But more directly and more immediately, we say that the Holy Spirit regenerates. So all three are involved in this creation. And they are taking, as it were, time. Because now that they've expressed themselves in a new way, not within the Trinity, but outside of the Trinity in time and space, they have expressed themselves. And even though they view all things through the eyes of Trinity, yet they're, they're viewing something outside of themselves. And there's something new. Now, they did the same thing with the angels, by the way. I should say that. But they're also a creation. Even in the, in the, in the creation of the heavens, they said that they did the same thing. But now we're in the context of the creation of the earth in six days. All right. Uh, God is Trinity, then delighted in the same. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I only... I extend this note wildly from my outline because it's very pleasant, my friends, to consider the fellowship and the delight that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have in one another because we have entered into that fellowship by union with him and the Holy Spirit. And John says our, our joy is complete when you join us in fellowship and truly our fellowship is with the Father and the Son. The whole... The whole the whole secret of the Sabbath is delighting in God. But I'll get to that in a second. I'm not straying from my, from my notes here when I meant to mention this. The, the created angels, uh, that is to say the holy ones, whatever, which other ones remained, as I know there, there was a, a scandal and, and, and there, was, there was a separation. God distinguished the holy from the unholy in this heaven. The sinning angels left with, Luth, with uh, Lucifer. The created holy angels in God's image. Yeah, I, don't, I hope I don't have to convince you of that. They also are moral agents. They joined the Trinity in worshiping God as their creator on the Sabbath. They were there singing the song of creation from the beginning. And they, <laughs> it's amazing how they were made in knowledge and righteousness. They all of a sudden spontaneously erupted and as they all knew the same words and the same music. Well, God put that knowledge in them because they're rational creatures too. And they're enjoying uh, the worship of God and the admiration of all creation, including themselves. And then Adam and Eve, created in God's image, whether they made it past their sixth day without sinning or not, they still retain an image and have some kind of relating to God even if they were sinful creatures, their consciences would still, still have testified. That's why the Psalms call all the worship, summons all the earth to worship on the Lord's day. It's not summoning just Christians. That's, that's nuts. It's summoning every person because every person knows this. So Adam and Eve, whether they were, if they were, if they were already sinful, 
They would find it, of course, hard and irksome. But they did receive the promise right away. As soon as they sinned, God gave them the gospel promise. Maybe they latched on it and advanced on God. They had their loincloth. Maybe they, maybe they were able to lift their shame. I don't know. But they would also have worshipped on, on the seventh day. Uh, but if they were in their purity, of course, they would have done that by nature. They would have needed no prodding. They would have needed, they would have needed no prodding just as a baby robin doesn't need to go to school to open its mouth to receive a worm from its mother's beak. There's no training baby robins. Oh, you need to go to school. When you, open, you go to school, I'm going to teach you how to open your yellow beak like this. And your mother's going to put a wiggly worm in there, and you're going to eat it. Now, don't be confused. Yeah. Yeah, there's no instruction needed. That's the nature of robins. And the nature of men is to worship. And so that's what he would be doing. That, that, that's what he enjoyed to be doing on the seventh day. There's an allusion to this, I'll just mention very quickly, that uh, uh, Cain and Abel also, the scripture said that at the end of days, a lot of, a lot of the English translations, they no longer use that phrase, at the end of days, uh, they brought their sacrifices before the Lord. What end of days? Well, it's only, there's only one cycle of days here in, in, in the Genesis early records. <laughs> That's the cycle of six days and one, and one rest. So they would work. And then at the end of days, they had their Sabbath, and so they would bring their sacrifices. We've got to really watch your English translations. I mean, even denominations are so biased against Sabbath. Unbelievable. All right? You've got to watch it. God choosing the seventh day, however, and not another day, that had nothing to do, as far as we creatures are our best guess. It has nothing to do with his moral essence. It has nothing to do with the expression of his sovereign will. He's Lord. This is the way he would like to arrange a meeting. Uh, he keeps the calendar and says, okay, um, let's meet Let's meet on the seventh. It's his, it's his choice. That's a positive law. The day itself could be changed without removing or interrupting the moral essence of the commandment. Either, when you go fishing on Saturday, or you go fishing on Sunday, it doesn't, it doesn't change at all fishing. It's still fishing. And uh, when you worship on one day or the other, as long as God says this is the day that we're going to worship, it changes nothing of the essence of worship. But the essence of man is to worship God. And so that, uh, that is to be respected. So the day itself can be changed without uh, abrogating the moral commandment. It changed from the uh, Saturday, the seventh day, to Sunday, the eighth day. And then the New Testament is called the Lord's Day. And guess what? Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, so he can do that. Upon his resurrection, that day is his. That day is his, and he wants his people to gather on his day. And that's his prerogative. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. God. So Jehovah instituted the Sabbath immediately after finishing his work of creation. Second point, Jehovah instituted the Sabbath for the good of his creation. Now, we don't think of Sabbath anymore in Hebrew terms, but we need to. Most of this book is Hebrew. Jesus is a Jew. He still has a very Hebrew mind. All right? And uh, we need to understand uh, that as far as Sabbath is concerned, a creation ordinance, all lands, all cattle, all beasts profit from man resting on the Sabbath. The beasts don't. They're not moral agents. This is why we know that this is a moral commandment. <laughs> they don't know which, robins don't know which day uh, by a positive decree of, in law that God would rather be. No, they don't know. Man, who's reasonable and listens to God or can listen to God, should know. But, they, but over and over again, the, the, when, the, when the fields are, are fallow, as commanded in so much of the, the law of Israel, that's a form of rest they benefit. When men give their uh, working animals, the, their strong oxen and, and horses, a break because they're not driving them hard and disking and cultivating the fields, the animals benefit. Okay? Everything benefits by the dominion of man over them in the Sabbath. 
And when Sabbaths uh, are not given to fields and animals, it's as if they had a voice and screamed to heaven, get this tyrant man off our backs. He's just a bad dog owner. The dogs will complain on the last day because we've mistreated them in our tyranny over the creatures. Man is God's chief creation, profits from resting. He profits from this resting. And that's why God gives this law. Every Jew will tell you the law is a gift from God, an expression of goodness, and with an intent for goodness. Man tends the garden joyfully, working the blessed earth for six days. Man much more greatly enjoys undistracted worship and the joy of the Trinity. Can you imagine entering in as an unspotted, undefiled uh, man, not glorified, but sinless, and being able to fully enjoy uh, the company of the Holy Spirit and the, the uh, whatever expression that the Alphony had, the Theophany had in, 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 in the second person, Christ, walking in the, in the garden and, and enjoying him without the, uh, without the distraction of sin, but then not without the distraction of, of, of broccoli and, and, and cauliflower and, and spinach and garlic. You can only think of, really, you can only think of one time. I know people like the mountain, you know, all mount, multitasking, sort of. It's, it's hard to play a brilliant concerto when you're, when, you're, when you're making an omelet at the same time. You need to concentrate on those things that are excellent. And the worship of God is an excellent, excellent duty. Man more, much more greatly enjoys undistracted worship of the Trinity. And that's why the Sabbath has given us. Man rests physically too uh, from his regular labors, but not all labors. There's work to do on the, on, on the Lord's Day, on the Sabbath. If God so commands it, he commands Levites to do many, many activities. And, and on more, the temple services, wow, you've got musicians running around, you've got all kinds of sacrifices, lots of logistics to maintain the temple worship. Okay? <clears throat> Joshua and Jericho, wartime. All right? Circle the city six days. On the seventh day, circle it seven times. Blow your horns and the walls will come down. That's a lot of work for the seventh day. Uh, so the Lord, uh, you know, if he, if he says otherwise, there can be exceptions. Another exception is necessity and, and, and mercy. Here's, here's another example of, of, of nature benefiting from the dominion and the, uh, the vicarage of man. He, he has his ox that's fallen in the ditch. He has mercy on the creature. The mer he checks to see his wounds. If he spends the night in there in the dirty water, he may get infections. Please help that ox around. You know, oh. uh, it's very endearing to, you know, it's very endearing, my friends, when Jesus in the manger is presented with ox. <laughs> the, the creatures love this man, Jesus. And he's the man who is pictured in Psalm 8. Necessity and mercy. An ox in the ditch, both benefit. Man benefits, he needs the ox. The ox benefits, he needs man. The Sabbath then is tailor-made for man. Because man is a moral image in God's image, a moral creature in God's image. And uh, what Jesus says in Mark 2, the Sabbath is made for man and not man for the Sabbath. What he's saying here is, he's speaking to them as the covenant people. And as covenant people, they're not under law, a works of law for condemnation if they had believed the gospel promises. If they believe the promises of God, there's no law that is, that is over them for bondage sake. They're free in God. And as free people, they're free to use all things, including the Sabbath. God made the Sabbath initially because man was made free. But now if, if, if in our Sabbath concepts we see that as being under the Sabbath and not serving us, then we are confessing that we are under the law as a covenant of works. We're expressing our true nature as slaves when we deprecate the Sabbath, because we feel like we're under it 
and we don't know how to get above it. No, we're not under this law uh, for condemnation. We're under this law as a rule of life that we might have life and that we might have it abundantly. That's what it means that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. And how often have we heard that thrown back in our faces in defense of lawlessness? Jehovah distinguishes the seventh day then from the previous six. He distinguishes it. Just like, look, we're covenant, we're, we're, we're covenant and reformed people. Our children are holding to the Lord, 1 Corinthians 7. We've got to stop thinking of them as not being in the church. They are part of the visible church. And God has declared them holy. And what God has declared holy is holy. And he's declared the Sabbath day holy. And that's that. Jehovah distinguishes the seventh day as holy. Man is to follow God's pattern because that's what he has done. It's a moral action. And we must imitate God in all of his moral actions. Man exercises a godly dominion in following God's moral example. Every moral example in our Constitution, uh, the Westminster Confessionist Catechism, everything that's there as an example, by holy angels, by, by God, by holy apostles, and, every, and everything that is commended as good, even though it is not commanded expressly as a commandment, is for our imitation. That's how we are to understand the teaching of the scriptures. So man exercises a godly dominion following God's moral example. And, and this, is how I got, this is how I finally came to the position of the Sabbath. Because I read that God blessed the seventh day, the Sabbath. He blessed it. And if you understand what that's going on there and read the, have read the rest of the Bible, everything that God blesses succeeds. Everything that God blesses continues. Everything that God blesses perseveres and, and is fulfilled to, in the purpose for which God had made it. And until heavens and earth will pass away, and you know, until the new heavens and the new earth, God will... Man will be worshiping God. And as long as man is a material creature occupying time and space, he will need a definitive calendar day in which to do that. Because he, he, must, he must show himself to be not merely man, but in society under God as God's people. We must plan our days accordingly. God is a God of order and not a God of helter-skelter disorder. Whatever God blesses, whatever Jehovah blesses, it persists. He blesses the animals, we got animals. He blesses man and, and, and woman, even though sin, yeah, yeah, they perish by sin. But look, we got plenty of men and women. Why? Because they're blessed. Jacob blesses Pharaoh in Egypt, wildly, wildly successful kingdom, prominent empire. That's what blessing does. And this is what I, I greatly wonder, my friends, I'll tell you, people walk out before the benediction. I don't get it, okay? I know, you think it's a formality. It's not. Please stay until you receive the benediction. It's not nothing. It's not nothing. Seek God's blessing, even in the worship service. Number three, Jehovah did not institute the first Sabbath at all as a ceremonial commandment. And I'll tell you why. Because the heavens and the earth were completed in perfection, there's no def defect. There's no blemish at all of sin. There's no curse. There's nothing to transcend here. Everything is peace. There's no sin. And because there was no sin, the man needed no mediator. He related to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so he related to the second person in the Trinity, not as Jesus, who wasn't born yet, but as Christ, the theophany, but not as a mediator, except as he was a channel through which all things were made, but that, that's not a mediation of redemption, that's a mediation of creation, okay? The covenant of works instituted there in the garden uh, saying, uh, respect this tree. If you eat of its fruit, the day that you shall eat it, you shall surely die. But if you don't eat, you're, you're free to remain here. All these things are yours, but this tree, no. That was, that was the terms of the covenant. It was one of works. 
But, but you see, Adam was not helping that. He was left, as it were, as a free agent. And so he didn't have a mediator in the covenant of works. That, that is one of the marks of the covenant of works. That's, that's one of the marks. Covenant of grace, you always have a mediator. That's why he's of grace. We're helped. God is our help, maker of heaven and earth. First words after the greeting every Sunday. If there is no mediator, however, then there's no foreshadowing the mediator. If there's no mediator spoken or even hinted of in the initial creation, there's no foreshadowing of the person and work of a mediator or of a covenant of grace. None is needed. And so if there's no foreshadowing of a ceremonial Sabbath would be, would be pointless. There'd be nothing to... <laughs> you can't even imagine it. A ceremonial ordinance would be vain worship. And that would be breaking the very moral law that God is establishing in his second and third commandments. But now that the mediator has died and intercedes for us in the covenant of grace, and he's our help, yeah, we don't deal in shadows, though we deal in essence, realities. And we and, uh, and uh, keeping a ceremonial commandment today uh, would be vain worship. Uh, but the Sabbath day does endure. So the Sabbath is not, is not ceremonial at all. Now, uh, there's an interesting place in Isaiah, and we're, we're close to closing, so don't, don't despair. In Isaiah, again, uh, a Bible book that greatly, greatly deals with the stubbornness and the idolatry of God's people. In Isaiah 56, verses 4 and 5, he, the Lord through Isaiah prophesies of the day where it, those eunuchs that keep the Lord's Sabbaths, they will receive a, a name that's better than sons and a place in the house of God, in the temple of God. Uh, it, it says, oh, that's, that's nice. No, it's better than nice. Uh, what this says is that a tremendous change is coming around here so that eunuchs under the old covenant who were forbidden, even in the temple area, are now going to be admitted to the very closest fellowship of God, the inner sanctum of God, and a name better than sons. That can only mean that there's been a change in law. Not moral law, ceremonial law. And that's exactly what's changed. Which means that God, when he sent uh, Philip in the Holy Spirit in the wilderness, he sent him to a eunuch. Because the day of the fruition of the covenant of grace is now upon the earth. And that eunuch, by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, reading from the book of Isaiah, my friends, received a name that was better than sons, took that back to Queen Candace, and by the way, the Ethiopian church was strong for many, many centuries, okay? And it was thought to have been a result of uh, Philip's evangelism. The Ethiopian eunuch keeps Sabbath and is blessed. And that can only mean that Sabbath continues in the, old, in the New Testament. Because the old ceremonies have been lifted. The moral continues and eunuchs are blessed. Isaiah 58, the same way. It talks about those who delight and the Lord, and calling his, his holy, day, uh, holy Sabbath a, a day of delight. And he promises them their victory and an inheritance, the inheritance of Jacob, uh, feed them, the feeding them of the, of, the, of the food of Jacob. Okay. That is an enduring commandment. And it has been noted by historians uh, that in every period of true revival, even in a Methodist revival in England, a true revival of gospel, of uh, a, 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 a sweep of the gospel, regeneration of entire towns that were given to drunkenness and, and whoredom. The ministers would walk up and down the street and there'd be families singing psalms and they would be in prayer. 
and the and neighborhoods would be transformed, and there was order. And that was a lively testimony of money. Uh, and they all, all these, all these revivals, even the last ones under D.L. Moody, all featured Sabbath keeping. Moody was fanatical about Sabbath keeping. Okay, Revelation 10, uh, 1 verse 10, John says he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. It would be a meaningless phrase if that construction, the day of the Lord, was not the very same construction as we find in Isaiah 58 in the Hebrew translation of the Greek. It's the same construction. You miss it in English because you're not reading Greek. You miss it in the Greek because you're not reading Greek, but it's a translation, a complete literal trans alliteration of the Hebrew. It's there. It's the same day. First Corinthians 16, Paul would have no business telling the Christians to set aside their offerings on the first day when you meet. When you meet on the first day, it's a given that the church is going to meet on the first day. It's, it's, just, it's, just, it's just a given because that had been the practice since Jesus continually appeared on the first day of the week, the eighth day according to the Hebrew calendar, after his resurrection, every reappearance. He, he, favored, the, he favored the Sabbath. And just like he favored the Jewish Sabbath for grand miracles, uh, in the days of his flesh. The Lord loves his Sabbath. We need to be careful readers of Scripture. Of course, the prohibition of keeping holy days in Galatians 4.10 appears to be a contradiction, but when you consider that there were some, I, I, I believe the number Dr. Shaw put on the board, something like 53 Sabbaths, in addition to the one Sabbath. Annually, there were, of course, about 52 Sabbaths because of the seventh day. But what I'm saying is, in, in addition to the weekly Sabbath, there was about 52 or 53 other additional Sabbaths, which were feast days. And what Paul is condemning is feast days, which, I mean, that's very unusual, but the church now has a hankering over feast days and, and a dislike over the holy day of the Sabbath. So what God says, A, we say not A. When God says B, we say not B. What does this have to say about our sinful, willful, stubborn, idolatrous ways. All right. Any other holy days not, not considered in the New Testament? The Lord has not declared those as holy days. We have declared them as holy days. All right, whatever. But that's the argument. Let me conclude this and then some application. The Sabbath is a creation ordinance. It's made for man. It's first and foremost a moral commandment requiring all mankind to cease ordinary labor and obey its precepts as a means to delight in the Creator. Now, my friends, we start by saying, do you really believe the Scripture's account of creation? Do you believe that God created man by fiat, out of the dust, not, not by some long theistic guidance from, from simians? It makes it easier to keep the Sabbath if we if we just say, well, no, uh, no, this evolution was, was quite defeated philosophically centuries before Darwin. He was late in coming, and his day was mocked. There's not, you know, if we don't have that basis, then Sabbath, even among the Reformed, becomes a, a, a religious tradition or something birthed of pragmatism, utilitarianism or worse yet, superstition. And of course, we don't have any grounds to command anybody to keep Sabbath, because then we would truly be binding conscience. But if we have the, the, the teaching right, we have every right to bind what God binds and loose what God loose, looses. At least, at least the, uh, the ministers do. And nobody can say peep about that, because ministers do have authority. They're ambassadors. Can you think of a better way than to draw near to God than in the assembly of the saints, under the priest's word, by an ordained man, approved by peers, examined carefully on the Lord's day? If you can, well, then go there. But most people, I, I, I don't know, but I, I think they would fail that. You're not wiser than God, are you? Do you not delight then in his welcoming you and even commanding you to worship him on the Sabbath day? That's the superscription on Psalm 92. 
That, that, that's the superscription of Psalm 50. You can read that, Psalm 50, verses 1 through 6. All right? Uh, <clears throat> How are you spending the Lord's Day? Is it idleness? That, that's a very bad use of that day. It reminds me uh, the Lord's frustration. I, I, I mean, anthropomorphically, the Lord is not frustrated. He's ever blessed. He's, he's the happiest. He's the most blessed Lord. But he does say, all day long, I have extended my hands wide open to a stiff-necked and rebellious people. I want to embrace you. I want to, I want to gather you chicks as, as my own under my wings. But you, of course, no, you have no interest in that. That's the Jews. And that was written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the age have come. Spending our days in idleness, in vanity, delighting in, in a world that will soon pass away. The son takes occasion on this first Sabbath to view all of his inheritance. We should be reviewing our inheritance in the Lord, which is vast. All things are ours, whether Cephas and, or Paul or, or, or Christ is ours. We should be admiring the finished rest of Christ, and it's going to take time. And, and, and yet we, we don't follow the Trinity in that regard on the Lord's Day. Okay? Why abuse the world and its creatures? We need to give creation a break. You want a green planet? Let's start with keeping Sabbath, guys. All right? Or do you like for people to, to require work? Ceaseless work, sweatshop work. And that's why you go and you drink. You have to go to Starbucks and employ that person. So, of course, in employing, in employing that, that creature who is made in God's image and is a moral creature, by employing them, you are necessarily keeping them from this assembly. But you haven't thought of that. And so you are making them a slave to this moral order rather than facilitating their freedom in Christ. Abusing the world and its creatures. Give them a break. The fourth commandment and the tenth commandment have this feature. They're the last commandment of that table. And what they speak of, my friends, is desire. Do we desire God? And if so, we'll keep commandments one through four. Do we, do we have a love for our neighbor? Or do we want to covet and position and jockey ourselves to receive some pleasure, some privilege, some honor, not for them, but for ourselves? That's a dishonoring of all. And, a, and it is a... a and it's a boastful, uh, a, 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 a boastful arrogance of, of, of promoting self. That's why we break the 10th commandment. That's why we broke, break the first commandment. We don't have regard for God. It's a matter of desire. Okay? If you love God, even if there were no commandment, and your nature was purely to love God, you would, upon ceasing work, you would gravitate naturally to his worship as birds naturally fly south for the wintertime. And that's what holy beings do. That's what all heaven does around the throne of God, because they're holy. And if you love me, he says, you will keep my commandments. Even, even if this were the very least of God's commandments, you're great if you teach and keep it. Let's say this was the least commandment. I'm not, I'm not sure this is the least commandment. But let's say it is. It's the least important well, you're great if you keep it, and you keep it. And if not, the Lord has another title for you, a surprise title. You're, you're going you're to find yourself not to be very great in heaven at all because you have not understood the law of love to God, and that was your first duty. Now, in the Protestant Reformation, no one would have become Reformed without the means of Sabbath because Sabbath is there that we might receive of God, principally the teaching that is correcting all manner of malpractice in the Roman Catholic Church. But today, 
we have a, a chicken and egg situation. We have a race between the chicken and egg, which came first, okay? Christianity today has become so minimalist because man takes no time, and he has no time, so he thinks he has no time, but he does have time because God gives him time, but he will not use the time and prioritize his time. So Christianity today is fundamentalist and minimalist because man makes no time in the week to worship God. And in depriving himself of that day, he is happy being a little teacup with a little knowledge, whereas the vastness of God's doctrines requires much time, much meditation, much prayer. And the Sabbath is therefore a robust and abundant life, expressive of a very, very robust religion that cannot be redacted to five, well, I, yeah, five points of Calvinism. What a ridiculous religion. What a ridiculous religion. Christianity today and Reformed Christianity is minimalist because man makes no time of the week to worship God in the public and the private worship of God. Everything's so simple. Well, I know I'm justified. Everything's... It's, what's... What's the big deal? We are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. There are degrees of sanctification that are unceasing, that can only be attained in time. Taking time to be holy, taking time to learn, taking time for prayer, taking time for supplication, taking time for mercy ministries, taking time to serve others in need, taking time to rescue the ox and give creation a break taking time. It's sacred time. You have to redeem the sacred. Now, my friends, we need to repent. It. We need to repent. Because what God has blessed and what God has declared holy, you have no business profaning nor disputing to him otherwise. And judgment begins in the house of God. This, this preaching is for the church, not for those people that are Shamefully, not. pity the people who are misinformed or ignorant. But ourselves, we're without excuse. We're without excuse. So we need to repent. Now, if you don't know why we should keep Sabbath, then I need to remind you of the gospel. That's why we keep Sabbath. The very heart of the Lord Jesus in Psalm 40 is that he's the servant of God, pleasing him in every way, and it says of Christ in, the, in that figure of Psalm 40, I desire, I desire to do your will, O God. Your law is in my heart. If there was ever a man who loved God supremely and perfectly, it was the Lord Jesus. And it says of him that he has the law, the law of God in his heart. And that law is expressed in this, the desire to worship. And Jesus, and Jesus kept Sabbath, even the ceremonial ones, out of respect of his Father's will. If we love the Lord, we will love his heart, and we will love his intent for us as his creatures, not only created in his image initially, when he was the, the second person of eternity, but recreated by the Holy Spirit, and now maintained in that bond by his mediationship. And we will love his commandments because we are we are in union with Christ, his human nature, not his divine nature, his human nature. And that Jew, that Jew who is our head, loves the law, the moral law. And we must too, because we love Jesus, and we're in Jesus. My friends, receive the Lord. Study all who he is. Lawlessness, dispensationalism is first of all a Christological heresy and we need to repent it's seeped into every reformed church and it's poison but now you know better and we are not we are not to cease repenting until we find this day and it's long sermons a day of delight let's pray now Lord we thank you that you instruct your people that you have fabulous gifts for us extraordinarily good things and promises. We pray that we would delight in all who you are and all that you have given us by way of your revelation. 
We thank you for caring for us. We thank you for our inheritance that we don't see yet, but we see with the eyes of faith and we can purview all the righteousness, all the, the happiness and the glory and the joy of heaven. And so help us to taste that upon review every Lord's day as our inheritance in Christ and share in the joy of fellowship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, even as you've given example in creation. And we bless you then, Lord, for your truth. We pray it in Jesus. Amen. And so prepare for our first, our, our final song. It's take time to be holy. Mm -hmm.